Hello, Cub fans. Welcome to the first ever episode of Bricks Behind the Ivy. I am Candy Cubs, a.k.a. Jeff Rogowskis. This is Sean Hotstove, Cubbies Chapin. And we're super excited to be here to have this first ever episode of our brand new podcast. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Ready to talk some Cubs baseball. This has been... Uh, Quite the off season, and uh, I can't wait to get into things and, and discuss this and go on this uh, podcast ver- journey with you, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a dream of mine since breakfast, as Michael Scott would say, and I'm not giving it up right <laughs> now. So, uh, you know, we're you know, obviously, you know, we're both huge Cub fans. I was lucky enough to meet you on X, uh, formerly Twitter. You had reached out to me and had retweeted something of mine, and we started direct messaging each other and found that we had a ton in common in regards to the Cubs and interest in sharing that information with people. So I'm super excited to be here, super excited that you're here, very much ready to go. So today's topics for our first ever podcast, we're just going to kind of give you a little bit of background on who we are and, you know, how we became Cub fans and a little bit of our Cubs history per se. And then we're just going to kind of talk about our general thoughts of the offseason. We're just ramping up in spring training as we're recording this. Most recent news, Christopher Morrell going to get some focus at third base. Probably not going to talk about that necessarily today as there are still some pretty significant free agents out there that could change this discussion entirely in the next few weeks. So definitely just going to go through those few things first. Uh, Sean, why don't you start us off? What is your Cub story? You know, how did you get where we are today? Sure. So um, really, I, I was a Cub fan from birth, just didn't know it, know it until the race 262 in 1998. That captured me completely. Um, like most Cubs fans, um, watching that, um, you know, as a youngster, uh, it w- was really something that I absolutely loved and just was an awesome thing to introduce me into baseball. Then I started getting a little more obsessed. I, I'm a owner, uh, previous uh, owner and writer of um, the blog, Hot Stove Cubbies. I don't do that anymore. Um, I was an awful writer as I joked with you, um, awful, awful writer. Uh, but, uh, my passion was there. So that's when I joined, uh, uh, Twitter or X in 2011. And I found, man, that platform is fantastic for quick, easy information. And then just started growing my base from there. But going back to your original question, um, my favorite cub story, uh, and I think you actually wrote about this is, um, with my son, Mitchell. He's my oldest son. Uh, at the time he was five years old, we were going to our first Iowa Cubs game. And uh, not only were we just going to a game, but his favorite player, Darwin, Darwin Barney was going to be there for, um, uh, for rehab. So gold we go there. Basement Darwin Barney. Yes. <laughs> yes. Gold. Yeah. We should, we should specify that he beat out Brandon <laughs> Phillips that year. And I love that by the way. Absolutely. Um, um, but, in this game, and in this like time with with my son, it was the greatest first experience a kid could have at a ball game. Not only did he catch a uh, a hot dog from the hot dog gun, but he caught a t shirt from the t shirt gun, 
And then in this roundabout way, and it was in between one of the innings, and I'm not sure if it, if it was like early in the game or later in the game, can't really remember that. But um, Darwin Barney's over there at, at second base, and they're throwing the ball back and forth like they typically do in between the uh, innings. And all of a sudden, I was like, I leaned over to my son. I was like, that's Darwin Barney right there. And he goes, Darwin Barney, as loud as he could. Got his attention. Darwin Barney walked all the way across the diamond, gave the ball over to a security guard who then tossed it up to my son as my Darwin Barney's pointing at my son. So, like, my gosh, what an amazing experience for my son. Something that will be with me for the rest of my life. And I just – that that – still to this day almost brings tears to my eyes how great of an experience that was yeah absolutely i think that's one thing with baseball is we all have these very specific memories that really attach us to this game and having one like that especially with at the time a favorite player of your kid like that that is just, you know, that's a fan for life, potentially. Yeah. You remember that moment forever. Obviously, you remember it that well as dad. Um, that's something, you know, I hope my kids get some sort of similar experience as they kind of try to get more into baseball. Um, but, yeah, that is just an absolutely awesome story. Do you, uh, on a baseball side, do you collect any memorabilia? Do you have, like, a favorite Cubs item in your house, something that you know, brings a little special meaning. Yeah. Um, I used to have this entire area down in, uh, my basement, uh, dedicated to Cubs stuff. Uh, um, I've since, uh, transformed that into Marvel <laughs> and I'm a comic book and a Marvel nerd. So that that's been transformed. But so I have a bathroom that has Cubs stuff in it. Um, one of my favorite things that I have is the um the hall of fame plaque the mini hall of fame plaque for ron santo that's something that i beat on the desk about that he should have been in the hall of fame and you know he doesn't get inducted until after he passes and that's just really something you know we can all relate with ron santo he was he was the epitome of a cubs fan wore his emotions on his shirt uh, and even if he was on a broadcast, you could tell when things irritated him. Sometimes he was incredibly over the top. And I think that's probably my most memorable um, item that I have uh, um, regarding that. I do have just random stuff. I have a, like a Derek Lee giant card. I have a Greg Maddox, um, Ferguson Jinx, Jenkins um, uh, baseball card. That's pretty cool. I used to collect. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm losing it. What was the Cubs magazine that was out for years? What was that called, Jeff? I think uh, it was Vineline. Uh, yes. One of my favorite things. I was so just destroyed when they canceled. I that. know. I I mean, just I have at my desk at work just old Vineline covers that I, you know, would cut up of my favorite players and post pictures of just because oh, I love the cool. photography and stuff. And, you know, they're not in great shape. They're you know, desk toys, as one would call it, but it's nice to look at. I've got some from, you know, that 2015, 2016 season right before they stopped doing Vine Line. Yeah. yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's weird thinking, you know, the Cubs have transitioned from, like, having their own magazine and, 
you know, being a WGN team to this entire TV network, but I still have such a attachment to the nostalgia of that magazine. It just was so cool getting in the mail and having these cups and oh, stories and these, and it was, it was big and it had, it was you know, huge. Yeah. <laughs> it was a big man. It was like an album. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I loved like the Vine line had the red that looked like that marquee on the top. And I still have copies of Vine lines down here in the Candid Cub Cave that, you know, have special meaning to me. But that, uh, yeah, that was, that was tough when I got rid of that. I was destroyed. Right. Um, I have a question for you. Obviously, you have a lot of uh, Cub stuff and memorabilia behind you. What's your favorite back there? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I think ultimately I tend to be a big collector of a lot of things. I also have a section of this basement that's Marvel. Uh, Star Wars is another big thing for me. Oh, love uh, it. So, so that's, uh, you know, everything you can't see off camera currently is uh, Star Wars or Marvel, uh, which is you know, just something that I've gotten to enjoy with my kids. And, you know, I'm of the age that, you know, Star Wars was such a big part of my childhood because of my, my dad. And, you know, I would say that my fandoms for Star Wars and the Cubs are just so similar. It's just a very important family member, like, cared for this thing so much. And I wanted so badly to be part of it. Like, so I'm yeah. almost as much as a Cradle Star Wars fan as I am a Cradle Cub fan. But, yeah, memorabilia-wise, you know, I think it's always been my dream to have this space in my, in the basement of my future home. Like when I was mm -hmm. 10 years old, that was the plan. Like I was collecting all these things for this ultimate cub space. And, you know, that's, this is the culmination of years and years of collecting. I think each piece down here has such specific meaning to me. Um, one right now that sticks out. Uh, my grandma was a big Ernie Banks person. And she had this uh, statue. I can't think of the company right now. Like they're high-end baseball player statues. They don't make them. Bradford Exchange. They don't make them as okay. much as they used to. There's some Yankees that have recently gotten some, like Aaron Judge, for some reason, Gary Sanchez. Like I've looked online to see if there are any recent Cubs. And That's a weird one, Gary Sanchez. Yeah, really? exactly. Okay. <laughs> future probably thorn in our side as he joined yeah right. <laughs> but uh, she had this uh ernie Banks statue that she just recently gave me because she knew i was doing this basement um and there's the uh cubs player program from 1955 his rookie season that she had as well and an autograph ball wow. so i have i have that um over that's here so cool off my camera i think you know maybe i'll take a picture of it to put in the podcast notes so people can see it but yeah I, I remember her showing this thing to me when i was a kid and just being blown away by its realism and how special this yeah. thing was and honestly too it it very much reminds me i don't know if you remember those mcfarland baseball player action figures like they yeah were kind of, yeah i have a bunch of those in my basement too as well of i have all the cup ones that exist except for i think the Derek lee but um, I have all the my favorite players that weren't Cubs from my childhood set up like each row. Uh, I love Luis Gonzalez. I was a big 2001 Diamondbacks guy um, back before the Cubs really were, you know, players in the playoffs. You always kind of had to pick mm -hmm. a team every year. And that Luis Gonzalez base hit the win the World Series off Mariano Rivera is one of my top baseball so, memories. Yeah, -Cub memories. for sure. <laughs> 
and I was a big Mark Grace guy as a kid, so like seeing him get a World Series ring meant uh, meant a lot to me. And I have like Nomar. I always loved Nomar Garcia Parr. I I still oh. when I, I play softball, play with my batting gloves. <laughs> so that's uh, you know yeah, just doing all that, doing yeah, all exactly. that, all that. <laughs> I love yeah, that this, too. I feel like at some point, you know, I'll have to walk around, um, you know, for content purposes and show all the different things in this space. I'd love to see it. <laughs> but right yeah. now, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's in disarray as I have kind of dimin- rearranged some stuff to have more like section related. And I'm clearing off a section for uh, actually more Cub stuff and have them be kind of more of the familial memories. I think I'm gonna, we're going to try to start doing the ballpark tour. Um, but yeah, my, I guess my Cubs story, you know, we kind of danced her around it. Yeah. Yeah. My grandmother is a huge Cubs fan. Uh, shout out to my grandma who hopefully will listen to this cause she's a big Cubs fan. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, she used to take care of us a lot when we were kids and, you know, we used to go over there cause they were down the street and my family's small and close and she always had the Cub games on in WGN and, you know, I, had this desire to be part of the conversation and like just really appreciated the intensity that she, you know, enjoyed the cup games and yeah, it turned into like wanting to read books about baseball, wanting to learn everything I could about the Cubs. I was that kid that memorized the back of baseball cards and used it as a party trick. Like that was, uh, oh, I love that. <laughs> that was We're so much like, alike, Jeff. We are so much alike. <laughs> that is, um, that is a big part of, you know, growing up for me. And, you know, I still have, I used to collect, I, st- I still collect like the team sets of every Cubs team every year. And, um, that's, uh, you know, something I like to have I'm trying to figure out a appropriate way to display that. But, yeah, I think, you know, top cub memories for me, um, that's very tough. I think, you know, especially as I've become a dad, I've got two kids, um, I, uh, well, she's a five-year-old girl and a seven-year-old boy. And we went to our first cub game this year for Father's Day. And we also took my dad. And that was just a really special memory. Um, cool. I remember there's a picture my wife took of walking up that, you know, the concourse right behind home plate and seeing Wrigley for, you know, the first time for me in a while and then watching my son see Wrigley mm. for the first time. And man, that was, that was a, a instant weepy moment for dad. It was yeah two of my favorite things, just meeting each other in a single moment of time. And then my dad being there and uh, my wife went with my kids um, during one of the parts of the game. I got to sit with my dad and talk for a bit, and they came back and it bought me the Father's Day hat. It just was kind of one of those perfect days. But it's hard to you know, like say that Trump's the Cubs winning the World Series, which is you know, something that I don't think any of us ever thought would happen. And it also right. has just changed you know, how I process the Cubs. Uh, and how I process what success is. And, you know, these last years, you know, seven, eight years since 2016, it has really, I think, moved the needle on the conversation, which is kind of one of the cool things about us starting to do this is, you know, there is a lot to talk about with this team and what they've done and how they've gotten to where they are. And, you know, the transition from Theo the Jed. And, you know, I think these are a lot of topics we're probably going to touch on. But yeah. I think, you know, there's a part of me 
that feels weird about taking all this for granted because I spent so much of my impressionable baseball fandom years picking other teams in September to follow because the Cubs weren't good enough to be a part of a playoff conversation for yeah. you know, most of my life and most of you know our family's lives. I think, you know, I think that does, that's pretty good for, you know, our Cubs story um, in introduction. So I think what we should talk about as we get going, and this is the first episode, the offseason and, you know, our individual thoughts and kind of talk about, you know, where the Cubs are right now, the date being Sunday, February 18th, and this will go live, you know, later in the week. So things mm-hmm. could change, but... You know, hoping. I, I kind of want, yeah, hoping, yeah, hoping things change. change. So I kind of want to hear a couple of additions. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear your thoughts. You know, overall, we'll start from the Cubs' perspective, and sure. then after we talk about the Cubs, we'll talk kind of the greater MLB. You know, how would you? How do you feel about this Cubs offseason? You know, what are what are your general thoughts? You think it's good enough? How do you think they compare to last year? Um, yeah, just give give me some of your thoughts there. Sure. So first, uh, the off season's not done yet. I, I know I'm, you know, I changed my Twitter handle to op- optimistic Cubs fan because I feel like I'm one of the few that are on X right now that that really see the, the positives out of the off season. Now, ha- having said that, right now, if if you told me no more additions today, except for maybe some minor ones here and there, I, I give them a C minus. I mean, um, and and a lot of folks have tell me that I'm too optimistic on on the offseason as a C minus. But when you add somebody who fills in the margins, when you add somebody like a Craig Council, who I feel honestly to this date is the biggest addition of the offseason, I think he adds three to five wins. I watched and and probably maybe a little over the top stated that Ross Cost the the Cubs several wins last year and I think if he was you know honest with himself he probably would have said the same thing um but like as far as PCA only getting a few starts and then Canario getting benched after he hit that big home run and and it's Craig Council I feel like is the perfect manager for this team I think David Ross was the perfect manager during his era, I really liked what he did. I was a big, big supporter of David Ross. But as we started transitioning into where we're at now, kind of like the whole Rick Retoria thing, when we went from Rick Retoria to Joe Madden, I feel like that it's a good transition. And the fact that Jed pulled this off, my gosh, that is just, uh, no one saw this coming. And that's why I'm also very optimistic with this offseason and say, we're not done yet because. Jed keeps things very close to the vest. And really that to me shows that this off season is going to develop into something better than just a C minus grade. What in what he's getting right now, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think generally I'm in the same boat. Um, Honestly, I'm a little surprised by your grade. I expected it to be higher on the optimistic. Mm. I think, you know, and I wrote about this in an article you guys can check out on Northside Baseball, uh, which is somewhere, you know, I've been putting my musings together for the last few months. But, yeah, I struggle mightily with this offseason. And 
I think there is, you know, kind of one component of empathy and analysis that I put into not really understanding all the minutiae that goes into the decisions they're trying to make. And then on the other side of the coin, I think that I have some frustration. I generally feel like yeah. I'm a very positive person, but, you know, in this piece I wrote, I feel like I was able to kind of vent about, you know, how this offseason felt. You know, I think yeah, absolutely. Especially the Craig Council thing, you know, that was just an explosion of mm -hmm. optimism from my point of view of, holy cow, I did not think that they would move on from David Ross in this specific way in, yeah. you know, kind of interviewing someone and just being like, you're gone. But, you know, I was not an anti-David Ross person. However, mm -hmm. I think that you kind of touched on something that I feel might be a bigger issue. He did seem to prioritize winning over development. And I mm -hmm. think the Cubs are looking to tap dance that line which is kind of how the roster is currently constructed. And, you know, little things like what you said about Canario, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong getting called up and, you know, the matchups. And we don't need to discuss, you know, the numbers and him not getting his first hit yet. And, you know, yeah. it's such a small sample size. Those types of things are super valuable. Um, but, you know, there's also a lot of weird decisions last year that you can't really pin on Ross. And there was a yeah. lot of, you know, frustration I felt about Ross's lineups and I just can't imagine in 2023, 2024, that those are made in a vacuum by a manager. There's a whole group of analytics guys, you know, there's Jed probably as well, Carter, all putting yeah. feedback into the lineups that are posted. So, you know, I, you know, looking at post hoc 2023 and thinking about, you know, how long Eric Hosmer was on that roster, even though the underlying numbers were atrocious and oh my but, gosh. I mean, it's not like Matt Mervis came up and wrecked it out. You know, I think. No. And the thing that's frustrating when you do look at the roster now is last year, the Cubs got extremely terrible production out of first base and third base. And yes. they ultimately still have not addressed that issue. And that is. Yeah. That is frustrating. And in other regards, I do like the Shota Imanaga signing. I think it's a pretty solid contract. You know, I think the fly ball rate and the home run rate uh, that people have been citing and, you know, some of the projections have him as a, like a five ERA pitcher, which I just, I don't know. Nah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't believe that for a yeah. second. Yeah. I mean, that's just not going to happen. That would make him quite awful. Like we're talking Jay Garrietta before the trade-off uh, awful, but yeah, you know, I think, you know, for me, when you look at the rotation, you had Marcus Stroman, obviously, you know, not accept the player option, uh, which mm -hmm. did surprise me. I didn't think he would test free agency given the value of that contract. Yeah. But that is a guy that is going to give you 150 innings minimum, you know, about a three and a half, maybe higher three ERA ground ball pitcher. And he replaced yeah. him with a little bit of an unknown. Uh, so to me, that's kind of a little bit of a regression in the rotation. And then you have a bullpen that, you know, ha added some pieces. You know, we have Hector Neris. We've got some young guns that could possibly fill in there. Um, you know, there's still some guys out there that they could address. We're obviously rolling with Adbert as the closer at this point. But, yeah. you know, it'll be interesting to see 
Craig Council seems to have been able to manage these things quite well in Milwaukee with different pieces. Yes. And, you know, Josh Hader and Devin Williams were, you know, not big names before, you know, he got a hold of them. So maybe there's a little bit of magic there. He seems to be hands-on with some of these younger guys. Mm -hmm. He seems to, you know, manage expectations. But, yeah, I think if you look across the infield, there's still those gaping holes. And, you know, I think we both don't need to discuss. Well, I mean, we maybe we should discuss players yeah. that obviously will fit that. And yeah, I think I yeah I definitely struggle with the Boris stare down. You know, the Cubs are a large market, and they are in a division in which there is technically not another large market team, and they could afford to make a contract mistake per se, if you want to call them. Yes, they should be able to for a hundred percent. And it's it is infuriating that there are you know two guys I can think of right now at minimum at first and third base who can play first or third base that changes the perspective of this off season, but they're not exactly, you know, it doesn't seem like they're rolling in offers because they're still out there. And yeah, you know, I think I I'm curious what your perspective is. This. I mean, do you think as a player who is, has Boris as an agent and specifically with the players this year, the superstar mentality, superstar contract, and still not having a job as spring training games start this Friday. I mean, do you, as a player, do you think you're okay with this because this guy is fighting for you or are you starting to get frustrated? I think it really depends on the player. And, and, and I've never been in a player's shoes or know those um, interactions between the agent and the player. Of course we hear little tea leaves here and there. And I think Boris even wrote, wrote a book on it. Uh, <laughs> Um, but um, I could be wrong on that. But um, one of the things that I think as players are all about routine, especially baseball players are superstitious for the most part. They are all about routine. And as we're getting closer, and I think we've even seen this. I mean, over the weekend, um, you know, Thursday into today, you're seeing a lot of guys start signing minor league deals, major league deals and stuff. But as you as you stated, it's a staring contest. But one of the things that the players have going for them is it's rare that Bo Boris doesn't get what he wants. Um, yeah, but this is one circumstance where I don't think he is. I don't think Scott Boris is going to get the contracts that he seeks for the remaining five players that he has. He, and he has the five most lucrative players out there right now. Because he's going into this much like he went into it with, with Bryce Harper. I'll wait as long as possible because I have superstar talent. And that's what Harper is. I mean, we've seen him move from right field to first base. I mean, the, the guy is an amazing talent. The problem with this is, is that those five players that he has, and this goes nothing against the players themselves, but they're not Bryce Harper. They, they, are, they have some warts. They have some concerns. And now they're at the stage where you don't have the teams that were looking at you and interested now that you did two months ago. So, I mean, it, to me, as painful as an offseason that, that this has been, Jed might have been playing it right all along. I mean, the fact that he got Naris on a $9 million deal waiting that out, my gosh, that's a great deal. For a guy that – for 
we needed strikeouts and he gets 9.1 per strikeout per nine. I mean, that's just an example of Jed waiting things out and Carter waiting things out. I think it's just, it's very smart, but it's also very frustrating too, because like you said, you, you should be able to make the mistake. And if they ended up paying Bellinger 200 million, I would be like, it's not my money. But in the same breath, I want to be reassured that if that ends up negative for negative player value, most like J- Jason Hayward, I don't want to get in a situation where we don't have an, that where ownership saying, we, well, we don't have any money to sign a Juan Soto next year. I, I don't want that. So I think that's, that's where I'm at. That's probably what Cub fans and, you know, the the discussion that comes around this offseason, that mm-hmm. is something that I feel like there's a lot more information that we don't know about what happened when the money tree stopped growing money. And right. I think, you know, you look at the ballpark and all the things they've done to the ballpark, which, you know, f- from my perspective, I think Wrigley is in – excellent shape now they've done so many things so high level care to that ballpark i always describe it to people who haven't been there recently it's as if someone who loves the thing that you love more than anything put a lot of money into making sure it feels exactly the same way as you remember but it's been modernized and it's 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 such a weird they just did such a good job of you know, moving the ballpark into the future while not taking away everything that I love about Wrigley Field. Absolutely. But, you know, we've heard Crane Kenny talk in, you know, I I don't know the exact date, but he had said that the renovations to, you know, be in line with the federal landmark um, qualifications cost 100% more than they expected. Mm -hmm. And they launched the television network post major TV deals as we enter the, you know, the streaming issues that come with major league baseball and a lot of sports as a lot of these RSNs are starting to go bankrupt and, Mm -hmm. you know, major league baseball's trying to take advantage of this, you know, long-term to see if they can, you know, put together a better stream package, which, you know, let's let's not go down the rabbit hole of access and blackouts to major league baseball. Yeah, you don't want to get me on that rant. <laughs> exactly. As, <laughs> as someone who lives in Iowa who is directly Ugh. affected by this, you know, I and I'm here in the south side of Chicago, you know, having no issues watching my Cubs. <laughs> like I, I feel for you. But yeah, I think, yeah. you know, there's a bigger story about, you know, liquidity uh, versus value. And, you know, I'm yeah. not trying to, you know, make excuses for ownership or I'm not a Tom Ricketts apologist or, you know, one of those things that I feel like people get accused of, but I just don't see, you know, that they intended for the money to run out. And I don't Mm -hmm. think, I think that they've used things or fans have used things as a scapegoat, the Jason Hayward contract of like why certain situations, but you know, they, they invested a lot of capital into buying mm-hmm. the rooftops and building up that neighborhood. And that's the a great park. point. And, you know, I think the revenue never match, you know, their obligations. And, you know, based on the value of the Cubs when they were purchased by the Ricketts family, I believe it was in the 800 million, which, you know, now they're worth, you know, four and a half billion. 
Yeah. There were a lot of distressed assets uh, that were, that came with that's that valuation. You know, they had to repair those things. It wasn't just, and, you know, Theo and them had to completely rebuild the infrastructure of player development and all those things. And, you know, I think there was some comments in 2015, the 2015 offseason. You know, after 2015, they lost in the LCS to the Mets. And that offseason, you know, they, you know, went out and got Jason Hayward and Ben Zobris and spent all yep. this money. And, you know, they got backing from ownership because they realized, you know, that window was then. But yep. there was also a lot of comments of like, this is happening earlier than we thought. And I think that they thought these things would kind of, you know, meet at one singular point, which, you know, I think might have been too idealistic. But I don't think the the actual liquidity existed after 2017. So there was this, you know, and obviously this is all speculative and just, you know, I've thought about this a lot. There was, mm -hmm. you know, this point where they tried to manage actual capital and how they deployed it to players. And then they sat on this core thinking they were young, being one of the youngest teams ever win the World Series, and they would develop. And I think, you know, being the team that did it, maybe they didn't develop like they thought there's some injuries a lot of issues with you know some of the core of this team mm -hmm. they had some issues like some blatant like bullpen needs and they emptied the cupboard to address these things without using their finances they used prospects and such you know like to get quintana and it felt like every one of these things didn't work out like they thought it would yeah and you know then you get to an off season where it felt like Boris was waiting for the Cubs to get Bryce Harper. It felt inevitable in 2018 that Bryce Harper was going to be a Cub. And yeah. There just, there just wasn't money. And Paired up with Chris Bryant, two best exactly. buddies on the Cubs. It was going to happen. Yeah, and it just, you know, it's it stinks, you know, looking at, like, what Bryce Harper has been for Philly and thinking about that being in a Cubs uniform. Yeah. You know, ironically, him being able to transition to first base as the Cubs need a lefty bat that can hit home runs in at a first baseman. You it's know, poetic. It's, exactly. It's just, it's just frustrating. But, yeah, I think, you know, with this, I think that cloud just hangs over every decision this front office makes. And, you know, yeah. that the faucet will get turned off and we don't know when. And it's hard, I think, for an average fan um, or any fan to look at the valuation, to look at what cup tickets cost, to look at these things and say, that's okay. Like, that's fine. Like, you guys did your best. Yeah. And I just think, you know, it's just, yeah. What the point you've made about Boris and Jed and the intelligence here, there's just no need to give the contract if no one else is giving it. Exactly. But, but there is this gaping hole of need so it's just going to be who blinks. And I just can't believe how exhausting this conversation has become as we sit here on February 18th. And I feel like we've been talking about it since November 2nd. It's just unbelievable. It, we really have. I mean, that, that, that's been a consistent. And we don't have to get into this because I think we'll go down to a rabbit hole. But something needs to be done because it's bad for baseball. Um, having players still out there on February 18th and the impact of those players, there has to be a deadline or something in place to, to, to make this better. Um, 
you got a lot of ideas on that, like, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But I think this team can get a lot better with acquisition acquisitions. Now it doesn't have to be free agent. I think it's I think if you paired up like a Bellinger or a Chapman um, and, and you brought them into this team and makes other players potentially expendable. Same thing with Montgomery. Let's not forget, you know, Montgomery's out there too, who just lost his big meal ticket. It seemed like with the Rangers, with everything that's going on with their TV deal. Um, so I, I think there, there's room to improve this roster, not only through free agency, but also through trade. And also the, the, the thing that, you know, I tend to gloss over a lot is player development. Um, I think we're kind of gun shy, as you alluded to that, um, maybe this core, you know, the last core did not develop the way things we thought things were going to go. And, and now seeing some of those players move on to other teams, it kind of cements the fact what Jed was like, oh, I'm kind of hesitant to give Javi a deal. Well, that, that deal's not looking great. And that pains me because he is my favorite player of all time. Um, so, I mean, I think that there is room for players to step up, younger players, but you cannot count on that. I mean, if there is a way to get Bellinger, to get a Chapman on this team, J.D. Martinez, I mean, the fact that they're looking at Morel at third immediately opens up. I know it's not a for sure thing, but opens up the opportunity for a full-time DH that that hits over 800 OPS uh, against lefties and righties. I mean, that that just adding him improves this team probably puts them you know uh you know above that 82 83 um win mark um but yeah there's just there's so many avenues to improve this team that's why i'm at a c minus with it it's the it's the bellinger the chapman and in the end i hope it doesn't happen i i'm really crossing my fingers that Cody Bellinger doesn't sign a deal worth $100 million over, let's say, four years with another team besides the Cubs. Because if that happens, I can't, I can't go to bat for him. I can't. 100%. I think that is like that is the cloud that continues to hang over this Cubs offseason is Bellinger is still out there. Mm-hmm. And until he signs somewhere else on a deal that seems like the Cubs should have done it, like it's not problem it's not an issue yeah but if he if he signs this very team friendly or reasonable deal and it's not with the cubs then we definitely need to be having different conversations about yes this offseason and Mm -hmm. you know i think there needs to be you know additional questions of this front office group and you know what the vision is you know i think looking at some of these players and the young players they have coming up, you know, I, there's a lot of prospect lists out there that have, you know, six to seven guys in the top 100. And, mm-hmm. you know, I commend Jed and Carter for, you know, since 2021 when he took over turning this from a not so great farm system to this huge depth with top prospect yes. talent and, you know, a lot of guys that are still emerging in, you know, three years and, in only two of those years were truly just, I would say, bottom out losing teams. And yeah. he has said that this is not like a full rebuild. I would classify that as being the truth. You know, I, yes. I agree that incredibly this is accurate. Yeah. And what he's done, you know, while also I think avoiding some of 
these contracts for, you know, historic Cubs, I'll call them the team that did it. You know, the, none of those contracts seem to be working out for other right. teams. I think the only one that I would say that I would probably take at this moment is Rizzo because of the lefty. Mm, yeah, because of the lefty. Base. And he's been, you know, a solid player besides, you know, let's, you know, he had that weird concussion issue last year. That yeah. They just weren't able to diagnose. And, you know, he struggled and his numbers struggled because of that. That's not. You know, I don't think that's who Anthony Russo is, but he's been a pretty solid player over there. Yeah. And he's, uh, you know, a very solid defensive first baseman and lefty slug that the Cubs need so desperately. But, you know, all in all, yeah, I mean, I'm 100% on board with what you're saying. It's it's a super challenging situation Mm -hmm. with these guys still out there. And, you know, I think I, going back to just the, the idea of the offseason, you know, I think starting with the council move, you know, my wheels are spinning about, you know, the rumors of the attaching the Cubs to Otani and it kind of turning out that he just had no interest in coming to the Midwest. Yeah. You know, Yamamoto being out there and that contract of that getting so inflated that the Cubs kind of, I'm not sure if they, how engaged they were, if they knew the value of the contract and backed off. And, you know, I think these, ideas and there was the the talk from Bruce Levine like right at the beginning of the offseason where they said the Cubs were going to potentially add you know 60 80 million dollars to the books yeah really look at that you know the CBT thresholds and go over it and that's not the offseason the Cubs have had and you know I honestly you know I think if you get an Otani obviously you're having a different conversation really adding if you're going to blow through the CBT. Then you're going completely through it. Yeah. And like, maybe that was plan a, and Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think there's a world too, where the Cubs have been engaged maybe on Chapman and Bellinger or, you know, different things like that and have dangled, you know, a Christopher Morrell or other pieces, some of the uh, extra outfielders, uh, extra Mm -hmm. necessarily be the word, but to look at starting pitchers and, you know, the, the noise from that one, Cardinals Twitter account about the Cubs talking to the Marlins and yeah you know I've I've wondered if there's just this log jam of transactions that either has fallen apart or if you know it's just become too late where I think the Cubs are looking to lock up maybe a Bellinger per se or you know yeah earlier and then they would feel more comfortable moving some of these other pieces to address and we're we're talking about sure. a different off season and you know I think. There is still opportunity, you know, obviously to sign, um, you know, Bellinger or, you know, obviously Chapman or others. And, you know, these trades will still exist for, you know, the deadline. There's still some guys that can move off this roster. Yep. But, you know, assuming that they're going to be good enough to be making the correct types of moves at the deadline with the roster that's currently constructed, I'm having a hard time projecting that as a positive you know i think yeah like you said craig council brings having watched like what the milwaukee brewers from like 2017 till i don't know this past year have done to us is just been infuriating (laughs) yes it's like watching the same game over and over again where they would score you know enough runs and and we'd get shut down in the back end and every little rally the cubs would have there'd be 
some guy standing in some obscure spot and the ball would be hit on the nose and they would just know like that was where to catch the ball. It was yeah. just an irritating brand of baseball to watch. And they, they just had the Cubs number for so many, it feels like so many years now. And, you know, I think when David Stearns left that team, now Craig Council, I'm just curious, like, who was bringing that type of, you know, game planning to the table? Was it the GM? Yeah. Was it the analytics group? And I think we're going to learn a little bit about that from watching the Cubs yeah. Council and then watching the Brewers. That's something that, you know, I've got my eye on uh, coming into the season is how that dynamic of Milwaukee changes. Is this some internal system they have that they've figured out? Or was this a car driven by Craig Council and we, we you know, we've taken the secret formula away <laughs> so it'll be yeah it'll be interest, interesting to see that but yeah i think overall i'm just i'm just disappointed in how this offseason has gone and i think i've you know i've read in a bunch of different places it is really hard to say that this team as currently constructed is even as good as last year's team and i and, i was actually going to touch on that because i feel like in order to get to the win total of last year, a lot of things are going to have to break the right way. A lot of things are going to have to go the right way. And and one of the things that I see brought up on X a lot, and even in some conversations, is maybe the Cubs should just try the youth movement with, with which they're going to be forced to do if they don't they they don't go with a in addition, like a Chapman, J.D. Martinez, Montgomery, uh, Bellinger, um, you know, they're if to go to that to go to that youth movement, um, and I'm fine with that to a certain extent. I, I think you know player development's important, but then the, the follow up question is always: so when when do the Cubs decide to actually just to completely buy in? and be this team and do basically what the Dodgers did this off season. <laughs> I mean, like, like wh when are they going to be that big market team and take that step forward? Because yeah, we can go with the youth and, 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 and do that. But we, if you do that and you waste another year where you don't make the playoffs, you are one more year closer to free agency for Nico Horner, for Ian Happ, for, you know, the, these players that, that are, essential to this team and they're getting older you can't tell me that they're that you know some players do consistently you know stay the course but there are going to be some regret regressions as they get older i felt like this year felt very much like the year to push almost all the chips in and they haven't done it yeah i think uh you know this is this definitely felt like a turn the corner type of year especially yes. after them winning as many games as they did last year. Um, you know, we don't need to go and do a complete audit of last of the wins left on the table and all those things. Yeah. But, you know, I thought, you know, there would be a little more, you know, aggression uh, this offseason. And I feel like we were definitely set up to believe that there would be that type of aggression. And yeah. I, I go, I struggle mightily too with, is this a communication issue where it just felt like we were getting way more information under Theo just because of how he spoke and Chad mm -hmm. is just not the same type of speaker? No, and not at all. I think there's also this weird, unfair precedent 
set up by Jed's silence in the Craig Council move that, you know, he works very well quietly. And so there's kind of this hanging cloud. I hate keeping saying hanging cloud, but that he is working on stuff. But yeah. also the silence feels like silence. Um, yeah. And I think it's just his, you know, I think there's a weird effect across the fandom with this type of off season. And, you know, I'm, I'm a season ticket holder again this year for the first time since 2018. I was from 2012 to 2018. And, you know, I have, you know, a bunch of tickets that I do sell off because it's not in my lifestyle to be able to go to as many games as I want to go to. And <laughs> right. But, you know, there's just not this excitement. And I know it's early still. We're in February, but... And just looking at, you know, article view numbers at Northside Baseball, like you can feel the frustration or lack of interest generated by this offseason. And, yep. you know, usually CubsCon is one of those things that just ignites this, this fervor amongst the fan base. And, you know, the offseason wasn't really done then besides, you know, Imanaga getting signed that week. And, yep. you know, that was, a, you know, a probably a good timing situation for CubsCon. But, yeah, it's just hard to sell this current roster. It is still the Cubs have what I would describe as the weird superstar problem. Like, they have a roster of very, very solid major league players that I enjoy watching. Yep. But they don't have the guy that sells jerseys. They don't have the guy that fills marquees. Uh, no pun intended, given the Cubs' big marquee, but it's not. You look at like jersey numbers and things like that, which do affect major league teams' revenue, as there is no revenue sharing agreement in major league baseball like other sports. Like you keep one hundred percent of the merchandise you sell. Like there's just not that front end guy that guys are you know players or not players fans are going to get excited about, and that is really hard. I think on a marketing department that's trying to sell this improvement. And, you know, there was that joke of the Lollapalooza, like, you know, uh, guest list they put out for Cubs con. And at the top of it in big letters was like Craig council and under it was like Jed Hoyer <laughs> and Carter Hawkins. It's like, yeah, this is, you know, what they have to sell right now. You know, yeah. Dans Dansby Swanson, you know, that was a big signing, but that was last year. And, Yep. You know, he's a very, very good player. My favorite current Cub to watch um, next to Kyle Hendricks. And, you know, he's the leader of this team, but he's yep. not, you know, he's not a superstar. He's an extremely good baseball player and one that I love yep. watching play defense. And, you know, that's what this lineup is missing too. And, you know, circling back to Bellinger, there's, you know, concerns of, you know, his up and down with the health prior to his pillow contract this past year with the Cubs mm -hmm. of him being that player again. But, you know, we know that he adjusts his approach with two strikes, which is going to affect bad at ball data. We know that, you know, he was this great clutch hitter with runners on base and he's exactly what the Cubs need to have in the middle of this lineup, especially from the left side, because they just don't yes. have enough left-handed pop. And, you know, not to keep going down this rabbit hole, like 
Ian Happ is a very good player. He gets on base, but you know the power kind of disappeared last year, and they need some power from the corner infield. Like which yes. say a Suzuki are we going to get? The one that played from July or the one that played before July with the oblique yeah. issue? There's just so many opportunities for step back, and that's I'm not trying to look at the glass half empty, but there baseball is not certain. You know, as uh, as Theo used to say, development isn't linear. You know, there's just a lot of opportunities here for guys to take a step up, but you need to anticipate for guys that could potentially take a step back. And that's when I look at this roster, my biggest concern is there hasn't been enough work at the margins to raise the floor. If anything, I think the floor is potentially dropped and, you know, Oh man, I, um, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, but there's a lot of concern early in the off season when they hired Craig council that the intent was to try to extract mm. as many wins without spending money. And it just, it's really hard not to feel that way right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's Cause the- I thought that was the silliest thing that I ever heard because I completely bought in. I was, I was like, they got counseled. They wouldn't be spending that amount of money on a, a, a coach, you know, a manager, they wouldn't be spending that amount of money on somebody. Uh, if they weren't going to go all in, and I think they were, they had legitimate, legitimate um, interest in Otani and Yamamoto, and I, I think, I think they had a path to to try to get that. They were just never going to come here. They were never going to be be Cubs. But instead of just going saying, "Well, we tried," and then getting to the place we're at now, where we're looking back, just like you did, and say. Oh boy, I hope that person that didn't, you know, that that tweeted at at me after the council signing that they aren't going to spend money isn't right because you know that doubt has creeped in. That doubt has definitely creeped in. Absolutely. And I think before we close, uh, I feel like we have gotten pretty somber and, and negative. I, yeah, I let's get to... let's get optimistic. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to <laughs> I want to ask um, you know, final off-season thoughts. Yeah. Um, you know, what's what's one thing, what's one team you think had a sneaky good offseason that's obviously Ooh, not the Cubs? Sneaky good offseason. Then the other follow-up question would be what is the your favorite move for the Cubs this offseason? Okay. Um, I would have to say sneaky good offseason and a lot, you know, people are going to disagree with me on this one, but that's the, that's the point of uh having debates is the Padres. I mean, I I think them getting the haul that they got for Soto, I really like Michael King and Drew Thorpe. I, I, I really do. And the fact that they added two great pieces to the pen with Matsui and Go, I, I really think both of them are going to be really good. And the Wandy Peralta, I, I think Sneaky, they still have talent on that team. They still have Tatis. They still have Machado. They, you know, they're moving Bogarts over to second and keeping um, uh, Kim at shortstop, which improves their defense. I, I just, there, a lot of people think they took five steps back. I think they're, yeah, losing Soto is going to be tough, but I, I think they had a decent offseason. I really do. Yeah, I think for me, the team that I would say that had a sneaky good offseason, and this is division based, Kansas City Royals. I'm going to be yeah. very interested in how that team performs in 2024. That 
AL Central is a bit of a mess. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what that Twins team is. I would probably pen them in as the favorite at the moment. Yeah. The Tigers, I, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting pieces on that team as well. But, you know, I'm not feeling super confident. But, you know, around the edges, the Royals have added some pretty solid pieces with Seth Lugo and Hunter Renfro, who's, you know, got some power, plays really good defense. Adam Frazier's a nice utility piece. And, you know, locking up Witt, uh, like they did as well, is such a big move for that team. Great contract, great player, lots of pop, lots of speed. Fun I love him. Yeah, I love a, him. He's a great player. So I think that, mm. to me, you know, if the pitching ends up being decent, you know, and that bullpen, you know, holds up, which, you know, I think it really could, they could make some noise in a central that feels very much up the grabs. Very similar yeah. to Panel Central. So, yeah, I, I look at that Kansas City Royals. And, you know, I think for the Cub move that I – liked the most i really am intrigued in bush i think this is a go ahead and steal my thunder that's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think this is a really nice pickup you know the age i think people probably are a little worried about you know you see that and think you know the guy's coach yeah. and he hasn't been in the majors but he has hit everywhere he oh hits gosh. from the left side you know he was one of those higher end draft picks at the time, he still falls into top 100 uh, prospect lists in some scenarios. He's got yeah. a really good bat. If he can, you know, play some solid first base and bring some balance to the lineup, you know, I think that could be a sneaky good move for the Cubs. Yeah, I, and even at the expense of Jackson Ferris, who I think is going to be really good. I mean, the Dodgers are going to just take their voodoo magic. You know, they're going to sprinkle it on him. And then he's going to turn out to be in, you know, the next, you know, Cy Young Award winning Dodger pitcher. Um, but I love the fact that they, this was an outside the box ad by Jed and Carter. Um, when you're looking at his numbers overall, I mean, when you have an OPS of 1.049, <laughs> even in the PCL, <laughs> 390 at bats, I mean, that is. That's really good. <laughs> I mean, even in the PCL. 100%. Uh, yeah. So I'm intrigued by the bat. And I really think that they believe in that at bat. In, in, in that bat. Now, defensively, if he could be average, slightly below average, same thing I say for with Christopher Morrell, the bat's going to play. That I'm really confident in that bat. So I, I completely agree with you. But if I have to pick somebody different than you, I'll say Shota Imanaga. Um, I think I was, I've been high on him since last year. I've watched a lot of videos on him. One of the things that I love is he attacks strikes on. I hate walks when I, you know, there's a proper place to do walks, but I don't think he's going to walk very many. And I think that's really kind of inflated his fly ball and his home run numbers overall and why people are putting that five ERA on him. But the one thing that no one seems to be talking about, and I actually watched a video from Lance um, Brodowski on YouTube talking about his unique windup with an arm slot for a guy who's 5'10". And it's just completely 
flipped on its head from what we usually see. And I've watched, you know, those little tidbits of him already. And I'm like, and then hearing Justin Steele saying the guy is filthy. And then Adbert, you know, like them, you know, that that's Adbert's his hype man and stuff. I just, it's hard not to get excited about Imanaga. And I think, you know, a lot of people say that, that, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a four or five with a floor of a uh, middle reliever. I don't believe that. I think he has the upside to be a number two. I mean, watching the video on him, and I think his floor is a number five starter in the league. And I think he's going to surprise, kind of like um, um, I'm losing his name, Senga uh, from, from the Mets last year. A lot of people really believed he, was, he could be a long reliever, and that's it. And look how well he transitioned. I think this is going to follow in the, in the same boat. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that the arm slot and the things they talk about is repeatable delivery. And, yeah. you know, I think he is a workhorse, a lot like a lot of players that come, you know, from that area of the world. They work very, very hard. They're very diligent. They're experts mm-hmm. in their craft. And, you know, they they throw a lot, which, you know, usually adds to some good arm health. So I think that's yeah. one thing that I'm looking forward to is him being able to stay healthy. Well, I think that's, you know, all we have to say about the off season. This has been the first episode of Bricks Behind the Ivy. Uh, if you are looking for us, please check us out wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to see our just absolutely handsome faces, you can check us out on YouTube at Bricks Behind the Ivy. If you're looking for more of my content, uh, check me out on Instagram and X. I'm Candid Cubs. And Sean, where can they find you? They can find me at Hostel of Cubbies on Twitter and coming to more social platforms in the future. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. This has, once again, been Bricks Behind the Ivy. We'll see you guys next week.